0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the Baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came came in and danced, She pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, They came and took his body, and laid it in a tomb." The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I have uh, two pop culture alerts this morning, and one prophetic alert. So I'll start with the prophetic alert. In this story, and by the way, this is uh, not really a story for young children, is it? Um, It would probably get a PG-13 rating or above. Kind of gory, isn't it? Yeah, and it's in the New Testament. We think about the Old Testament being where blood and gore is, but no, this is a New Testament lesson, and it's got... Um, the John the Baptizer, uh, who's been arrested by Herod, but not the Herod of the Christmas stories, but Herod's son. And there's more complication, and that's where some of the pop culture stuff starts coming in. But I wanted to read this particular piece to you. It's actually from last week, so I don't know why they didn't match this up for this week, because we're doing thematic Old Testament readings this year. But it comes from The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 2, verses 3, chapter 2, verse 3 through uh, verse 5. And this is uh, God is talking to the prophet. He said to me, mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. So that was the empowerment of Ezekiel to go to the people of Israel and tell them they were messing up. And here is John the baptizer, and he's been doing the same thing to the people of Israel as well. He's been out in the desert baptizing people, saying repent, and he's been breaking bad on the leadership of Jerusalem. And here he has been arrested by Herod because he's been breaking bad on Herod, and Herod didn't like it. It was a lot more convenient to be the head of a nation back then when you didn't have a free press, and you didn't have um, social networking, and um, you didn't have the First Amendment. And if you didn't like what the prophet was saying, you arrested that prophet, brought them in, and kept them in prison. But even Herod knew that John the Baptizer was a prophet. He's fascinated by him. and. I'm sure part of his fascination is is how does this man have the courage to stand up against me? Now, this was what John the Baptizer was breaking bad on Herod about. So Herod had married his brother Philip's uh, wife. So they got divorced. And Herodias then marries Herod Antipater. And this is where my first... Uh, reference, pop reference comes in. My wife and I are watching this really tawdry show called Succession. It's sort of a Rupert Murdoch character on television and how the family's all fighting over the throne, right? The The ownership of the corporation. And, you know, it's tawdry because there's all sorts of stuff that can be done. It's it's sort of like a soap opera at night with, with, with higher paid actors and maybe slightly better writing but this is what was going on in Herod the Great's family. He has a, he has a kingdom to divide among the people. And then he's got also a, a thing called Rome, the superpower of its day, who was lording it over the Middle East and saying, how do I keep them at bay and how do I keep my children um, uh, both motivated and, and uh, you know not tearing my kingdom apart? And it never really worked out for Herod the Great. He was a horrible father. He was a horrible man. And one of the things that we get in this moment here is this idea, sort of shoehorned in between the evangelical journey of Jesus' disciples. So, you know, I have a man in the men's group who says, whenever I ask, you know, what's going on here? He says, well, the first thing David will do is ask, what's the context? And here's the context. Last week, Jesus, right after healing a couple of people, sends out his disciples, and they go out empowered to exercise and heal and do all these other things, but we don't see them come back. And in the middle of that story, because right after this story, there's an addendum to that story about the gospel, the disciples coming back and telling Jesus about all the great things they did is this story that's not specifically focused on what's been going on up until now, and we'll start again in a moment. Jesus has been fighting the powers of evil in this world, the spiritual forces that are fighting against humankind. He's exercised demons. He's taken on illnesses and those sorts of things, but in the middle of all this, and then again at the end of this book, Mark inserts the story about worldly power and what it can do to people. There's no implication that Herod is possessed, he's just your average worldly leader who's got more power than is good for him, And here is what he's doing. Not only is he ruining his own life, he's ruining the lives of others. And that's just this thing that we have to really understand in the church because there are forces all around us that are arrayed against doing the right thing. Certainly there are the forces of evil, the spiritual forces. In the 21st century, you've heard me say fewer people are attuned to the spiritual forces that work against us. You know, come on, it's it's not scientific. But I, being a churchman, think, yeah, there are forces out there that we have no control over that sort of go after our spirits, directly at the parts of our spirits that are in need of care. And then there are forces that just are forces of human capability that are messing with us as well. And here's the second pop culture alert coming to fore. My children and I um, reveled in reading all of the J.K. Rowling books about Harry Potter. And in the fifth book, The Order of the Phoenix, there was a character named Dolores Umbridge. Now, up until this point, Harry has been fighting Voldemort You know, Lord of Death. Okay, I get it, J.K. Rowling. He's an evil guy. And the people who are affiliated with Lord Voldemort are evil people. And then there comes this character, and please excuse me, if you're part of the State Department, the U.S. government, anything else, I'm not breaking bad on you. But Dolores Umbridge is just one of those bureaucrats. She works for the Ministry of Magic who just likes to take out her venality and her malice on everybody who doesn't do things the way she says they ought to do. We've never heard of a politician or a bureaucrat doing that, have we? This is the United States of America, the 21st century, and everybody does what they're supposed to, and they do it with grace and good good intentions. Maybe not. And that's what you're dealing with here in Herod. He is somebody who's just a representative. And in fact, even though he has an extraordinary amount of power over the people of Galilee, he's got no real power anywhere else. The kingdom his father had, which was much larger, has been broken up. He's fighting with his brother. They're fighting border wars over who gets, you know, an extra 10 miles in a desert. They're fighting each other and the kingdoms around them. It's not really all that great to be king. Although it's probably better to be king than your average Palestinian peasant. And certainly in this moment, it's better to be king than John the Baptist. And the purpose of Herod is to bring this man down. And he knows better. And then he does this really rash thing. So he has a daughter Uh, By the way, we know this from Josephus, though her name is not mentioned here. The daughter of Herod and Herodias was Salome. And for his birthday, it says she, as a girl, so probably up to age 12, danced for Herod and his guests. Um, If you're looking up there, uh, yeah, she may not be portrayed as a girl, you know. People didn't read their Greek very carefully sometimes, especially artists. But she did, and they were all pleased by what she did. I mean, come on, this is like having your five-year-old do the karaoke in front of your guest because they know how to rock out, right? And this is what she did, and he was really uh, touched by it. And so he makes a rash oath in front of everybody. He says... I'll give you whatever you wish, up to half the kingdom. Folks, his kingdom has already been cut in quarters, and now he's going to give half of it away to a girl because she pleased him. Now, it's the kind of thing when maybe you've had one too many that you might do. But that's what happened. And Salome, not really having thought about this, runs to her mother and says, what should I ask for? And her mother, being Herodias, who's being criticized by John the Baptist routinely and regularly, has an answer. The head of John the Baptist. Now folks, this is all contextualized in a banquet. And unfortunately, I hate to bring this up because this is the gory part. This is the last course. John is beheaded, and his head is brought to Herodias in front of her father on a silver platter. Again, I'm just telling you, it's PG-13 or above, possibly R, and and I still haven't seen anybody put this in a movie quite right. This is what we're talking about. The power of us to harm each other is brutal as well, and because of his rashness, Herod kills a man he knows is a holy man. He knew he was a prophet. He's a prophet from God, and that is an honored position. And yet kings of Israel and this tetrarch in, of Rome governing Galilee still submit to the pressures of their own venality and mean-spiritedness, their own cowardice in the face of doing things they know is wrong. They would rather kill a prophet and look bad in front of their courtiers. The Gospel of Mark, as all the Gospels are, have an incredible read on human nature. They talk about these things that we do and do to each other, and although I said it with irony and I apologize, the reality is we continue to do those things today. It's not just spiritual forces arrayed against one another. It's also our own rebellious nature against God. The fact that it's harder to do the godly thing than it is to do the things of this world. Prophets like John, who probably could have had a wonderful career, tell you what happens when we run straight into the criticisms and the directions of speaking truth to power. What Herod had done in the eyes of the Jewish people was wrong. He didn't care. What Herod did when he arrested John was to shut up the criticism and in the end he didn't care about that either. He cared more about what his courtiers and what his friends thought about him in that moment. And we do that today. Nobody's ever seen a politician or a bureaucrat or anybody else crumble in front of the news media. Oh yeah, we do. Look at last week's newspaper. And I will tell you folks, it doesn't run by political party or anything else. It runs by the, runs by the job description. What do I think is happening today that will advantage me in this office? That's a hard thing to bear. I wish we had answers for it. I wish politicians who were atheist and Christian and Muslim and, and uh, a Jewish would look at themselves when they do these things and just say, maybe say, you know, that was a rash statement. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Here's what I think. I think it takes hard work and great awareness to number one, not make rash statements, and it takes great courage to admit you did. We live in a time no different than the time of Jesus. People are canceled. People are put out of work and out of jobs for making human mistakes. And then compounding all of this is our desire for a perfection that is unattainable. It's sad that Herod knew in his heart that he had a prophet telling him the truth. But he chose the ways of the world. I'm not in the position of Herod, and I cannot tell you if I have the courage or would have the courage to speak the truth. But in this position here with you, I can tell you that is the desire of God. If we mess up, it's okay. Well, it's not okay, I guess, but it's better to know that we messed up and be able to say that's what we did than it is to try and correct by covering up our issues. John was a powerful voice, and we see as a foretaste of what will happen to Jesus later on the intentions of this world. To encounter God can be a holy, spiritual, and life-giving thing. But often we choose lesser life, lesser hope, and lesser power, so we don't have to face the God of all creation. It sounds strange, but I think it's true. God wishes us to be able to walk in his way. He's not expecting us to be anything less than human, which gives us some pretty wide latitude. What he expects from us is a bit of self-knowledge and a bit more of the desire to be God's people by acting in God's ways.